So most of my career of my 20 years, it's been, you know, at the start, it was, you know, it was good with the Leafs. We didn't win, but it was pretty good. Yeah, it was good. It was good. <laughs> you yeah. go through these, these cycles. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reflect on the soccer club here because it, it's been closest to me. And I think there's a really good uh, path here to understand going from, you know, euphoria of a launch, right? You, so let's say you launch your business and you've got yeah. this trajectory like this. Yeah. And at the time, you know, you maybe have some things that differentiate you that make you better. Yeah. Okay. So for us at Toronto FC, it wasn't necessarily the product. It was more of the environment that made it such an amazing experience. Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. Hey, leaders. I am so excited for the podcast that you are about to hear and listen. We are having Chris Schufelt, and he is the Vice President of Business Operations for Toronto FC and the Toronto Argos. He's currently in his 19th season at MLSE, and he's worked virtually in all disciplines within sales and marketing, re responsibilities across part, uh, partnerships, ticketing, marketing, community support, and sport partnerships and service. and. Uh, he has a really, really in-depth uh, background at MLSE. He is a two-time winner of the MLSE Partnerships Executive of the Year in 2008 and 2017, and was honored in 2015 by Canada Sports Business Awards as one of the five to watch, five-time national champion in men's softball, and represented Canada in international competition. And we dig in to so many things. So if you're a sports fan, you're going to love it. If you're a leader and want to figure out how to be a leader, you're going to love it. We dig into sports teams and, and what was working with MLSC, why it was working, what happened with some teams, why they weren't working and what made them work later. You know, how tough is it to stay winning and stay, you know, driving towards success? Just a really, really fantastic conversation. Just feel so blessed that Chris made time for us. Oh, talked about community uh, support and all the work that MLSE does and, and their thinking around not sponsorships, but partnerships, and then also all the programs that they run in the community, okay, and what their thinking is behind there. I know you're going to love this podcast. Uh, please dig in. And again, you know what I'm up to is looking for more amazing leaders. So you can shoot me an email, any information or any feedback about the program or any amazing leaders to come refer at chris at leaderspodcast.ca or you can have, come apply at leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. Thanks so much. Have an unbelievable day. So Chris, welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. Thanks, Chris. Uh, good to be here with you today. Fantastic. I'm so excited to have you. You know, uh, literally, your role is you know, so many people would love to be doing what you're doing, you know, like leadership in, in sports. Like, oh my God, this is just so many people's dreams. So, congratulations on getting there. Uh, you know, and again, we're really proud of you as an alumni of the program. But why don't we jump back to sort of 
you know, before the program, you know, as a, as a, as a high schooler, or, you know, who were you, you know, what were you like before our program, Chris? Yeah, I was, um, from a young age, I was always going, I was always yeah. doing and going. And, you know, I grew up, uh, in a very small community and we had, um, my parents had built a house beside my grandparents' farm. And from the earliest times, I can just remember being outside working, uh, whether it was cutting the grass or helping out with my grandparents' house, or famously, my dad would have us back in in the forest, the bush, and we yeah. were cutting down trees, and we were we were lugging, and I was splitting wood, and I was, but it was always go go go. Yeah, uh, I was playing baseball nonstop. My whole family played um, actually fast pitch softball, and uh, my brother was was uh, seven years older than me. And he went hard at me, you know, like, like I, he, he was a pitcher and I learned how to catch and he just, yeah. he threw the hardest. And I was always just, you know, I was a young brother, but I was tagging along and I was always, you know, playing up to, to him. So that, that was my, my upbringing. I remember sports. I remember working really, really hard. I remember always being outside and it was a wonderful place and, and a, it was a great, it was a great upbringing for sure. That's awesome. And so do you remember any frustrations that you had? as a teenager before you got started running a business? You know, at the time, every teenager has frustrations, right? Like, right. you know, those simple things, you know, your pa- your parents are, are, are frustrating you or, you know, you want to go out or you want to do something or they're making you work. I, I don't remember any, too, you know, too large frustrations, but in, in okay. hindsight, in hindsight, thinking back, you know, some of the unknown, I left the house pretty early after, you know, I went to school and I stayed living on my own. And, and my parents taught me a lot about, you know, hard work and dedication and community values and family values. But, um, you know, I didn't have a lot of the, when you're out on your own, here's how you manage your finances. And, yeah. you know, here's how you you know deal with certain situations or here's how you, you know, deal with different companies when you're paying bills or you know, all, yeah. all those types of things. So I wouldn't say it was a, um, it is a maybe a minor frustration, but you learn as you go and you figure it out and, and it makes yeah. you better for, for just getting in there and doing it yourself. Right. I was always just, I was always learning on the go and, and, and trying to figure out life as, as I was going on. Awesome. So what do you still rely on from the program or what, what sort of, you know, things did you still, just still take advantage of? Yeah, I think, um, the program was, I, I started a bit late. So, so when mm-hmm. I got hired into the uh, summer management program, I think some of the other managers had a head start on me, right? I was playing a little bit of catch up and you learned how to, you know, if a day is hard, the next day you got to get up. And you got to go. And right. regardless of how hard that day may have been, uh, that you just went through, maybe at the time, Chris, at the time we were going door to door, knocking on doors and cold calling, yep. that was one of the tactics yep. that, that we learned. I don't know if it's still something that you push, you push hard. It's still something we do. Yeah. Right. But, but at the time you'd go through a day and you'd strike out, right. And yep. your team would strike out and, and then you're wondering, and because they started late, you know, did you have all those jobs ready and lined up? And you've got a team of, you know, at the time I had four or six individuals working for me. You've got to get up and you got to go the next day because you've got a team relying on you. And that's what I remember is you're lying there in bed in the morning and it's 6 a.m. And you're like, I got to get up and go and I got to hustle and I got to figure this out. I got, I don't have a choice. Right. Yeah. So that's really, and for me, whether it was, you know, my parents teaching hard work or this program saying, okay, we got to get up and we got to go that's kind of something that's always stuck with me. I'm an early riser. I commute 80 kilometers a day each way yeah. to my place of work. I get out of bed. I'm, I'm up at five. I'm out of the house by five thirty, quarter to six and I go. Right. Yeah. And, and that's just something that, you know, 
has been part of you know my routine for a number of, of years, 20 years, yeah. to be honest. I'm coming up 20 years on the program. Yeah. But it's just something that you get you get into. Everybody's got a different routine. Everybody everybody works differently. And that's what works for me. And everybody's different. And I get about you is you, you know, you already the words your culture and responsibility and ownership, right? These are things that are just coming up, right? And it's like you as a leader you know, you're responsible, you care for your people. It's just bleeding, you know? And so that starts. And, and again, it starts for who you are, right. And hard work. It, yeah. It's just, you know, who you are as a, as a leader. And, and it's funny. One, one thing that we stop doing in our program is we, now we just start everybody at the same time because we actually saw that what we used to do wasn't working. And so it, by, by not doing that, our averages grew our retention was stronger. Our success rates were stronger. And again, not something that we knew at the time, but, uh, but that, that same, you know, really taking responsibility for your people is so powerful. And obviously you wouldn't have had the success that you've had in your career at MLSC had that not just been so clear. Cause I, I just, I just feel it. I know your team feels yeah. it. And so yeah. why don't we move to that? Like I, and, and again, I know I know there's so many listeners who are, are leaders, you know, who would love a, an opportunity. Uh, I know you you were you graduated from sports management. I know you you started like volunteering at MLSC. So why don't you share your path, you know, with us? Yeah, absolutely. So it's funny how as I was preparing for this, you start to think back, and the timing is really is really interesting. It was a uh, in the month of August of 2001. I was mm -hmm. in the management program with you. Yep. And at the time, one of our one of my other business owners that worked in our area, uh, he had a massive job and he had a real crunch time. So he called on a bunch of different managers and their their employees to help him out. I was painting a Kelsey's in St. Catharines with him, right, helping him out. And I got the phone call from Maple Leaf Sports to interview for my internship. So that's wow. how the, the timing was was uh, was connected. So I remember taking that call uh, and then uh, getting that interview. That interview wasn't uh, wasn't successful for me. Actually, it was in, in the community relations department, and they didn't, needed an intern that was going to work five days a week. Brock only offered up three day a week intern, so right. they put me through, and I, I had a good interview. But they put me through to the partnerships department and said, "Why don't you take a look at this guy?" It turns out that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Right, and uh, worked in partnerships, started as an intern. The day I was called to get the job for MLSD uh, for my internship was actually a weird day. Another weird one, September 11th, 2001. It was that same wow. day uh, as, as the tragedy in, in New York City. So you go back to those things and you, and you, you start to think about you know, your career progressing from, from there. I did an internship for four months and then it could have very well been done and finished. Uh, but what I did was I just kept in contact and I kept going back and volunteering with MLSD. And they called me two months later Somebody had uh, had lost their job and, and they needed somebody to run a 10-minute promotion. And at the time, I was commuting from Brock University and, and I could have very well said, you know, I, I can't. I made the decision to say, yeah, I'm going to do that. Uh, I'm going to come in and I'm going to volunteer for the Mick Courtside Kids Program and I'm going to run this thing and I'm going to show them that I'm all in. Yeah. And if I can be all in on this, maybe there's an opportunity for me. So I did that from, uh, I think it was February uh, until... Um, the end of the Raptors season, so so start of April, and then uh, lo and behold, there there was a full time position that came available. I interviewed and I got hired by April. I was graduating at the same time. I'd been hired at MLSE, and I started as an assistant in the corporate partnerships department. And it, but it was it was simply trust and relationship that helped me get that that interview and that job. 
So that was that was kind of that first foray into uh, a real job with Maple Leaf Sports. And I want everyone to hear, like our leaders listening, it's it's like you didn't betray yourself. You didn't betray your goals, your dreams, your aspirations there. It's a it's a 80 kilometers. Okay. You know, it's it's you know, he's paying uh gas or go train to get all the way from St. Catharines to Toronto to run this event on a weekly basis or you know, a whole bunch of times, you know, so that he can say, this is how committed he is. There's providing value before you get the win. That's how really successful people get the world. That's how the world works, right? And so, you know, so often, oh, they're not paying me. So often, oh, this isn't worth it for me. You gotta think about the second and third order consequences and that no, these people will recognize it. And it's not like you're telling them or whining about it because I know that's not what you do. And they're like, wow, this, this guy's coming in from Brock all the time for this. Yeah. Look how engaged he is. Look how, in, you know, and, you know, is, is someone as a leader in the program, are they going to want someone like that? You bet. Yeah. Right. Well, well, that, that's it. Like in the sports industry, but lots of industries, you're, you're trying to differentiate yourself from other yeah. people. So mm-hmm. what are you, what are you doing? And for me, it was, just natural to to it was relationship and it was just real and it was hard work so that's yeah. that's what i did at the time i'm not sure I, it was much of a thought process it was just like yeah of course i'm going to do this because yes i want to work in sport who who doesn't as a yeah. guy grow, growing up in it yeah uh, and, it, and it just so happened to work out you know back to the, to the career progression uh, i worked in the partnerships corporate partnerships department for a number of years 2001 through 2004 Started as an assistant, I quickly um, elevated and started managing accounts, working on the Bell Canada and Toronto Raptors, Toronto Maple Leafs account, gained some of the most valuable experiences uh, of my early business career. At one point, for two days a week, I was in the Bell Canada head office. That's how important the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Raptors partnership was to them. And I was working directly with their people and their marketing team, but I was sitting physically in their office. Uh, So so it was an unbelievable experience as, as a young individual. And then I had to make a decision. I'd gone, you know, four years or so in the partnerships department, and I had an opportunity to take a jump into uh, a sales role, which was outside of of uh, sponsorship, outside of corporate partnership. And I was getting a lot of people within my own group and partnerships and and very senior leaders that I still look up to today, telling me, you know, Shu, I think you should stick around in partnerships. We've got a great progression path for you. Um, you're going to get that next opportunity. You're going to, you're probably going to break into our sales group. And I had to make a tough decision. You know, do I want to go and, and cut my teeth and gain some more valuable sales experience now, which is going to prepare me maybe a year or two earlier for whatever that next role might be. And uh, despite some amazing people telling me that I should probably stick around, I made the jump into right. Raptor, Raptors ticket sales. And Chris, right. as, a, as a ticket member, you will appreciate this. So circa 2005, uh, we've got uh, we've got Rob Babcock as our GM for the Raptors. Uh, the team is not doing very well at all, and I'm being I'm being kind we right sucked. now. We yeah. sucked. Okay, you could say that. I can't say that. <laughs> yes. Oh, I know. See, yeah. So everyone, uh, Chris will will speak so positively. So I am a long time season ticket holder with the Raptors. So I could say, you know, now again, I I'm still still it's I I've seen the the greatest of greatest. And I've seen the disaster of Rob Babcock and, right, uh, you right. know, uh, it was just so horrible. Yes. But please share. So the team wasn't good at the time. And I made the decision. I'm like, you know what, if I can sell in this environment, I can do this. 
Yeah. And uh, I went and I sold Raptors season tickets. I remember that a couple days into my job, Dave Fezchuk in the Toronto Star wrote an article talking about the Raptors. And, and at the end of the article, he actually signed off by saying, I feel sorry for the poor sales team that has to go out and sell this. And my wife, or my, we were just married at the time. She's like, this is what you signed up for? Uh, but anyways, it, it really showed me, again, some true colors. What, it, what that role did is it, it really showed me what I had my strengths in. And maybe I wasn't uh, great at selling you know, new business and, and I was good at selling, but I wasn't super uh, advanced in as some of the other guys were in mining um, the mass yeah. of people it would take to sell new business Raptors tickets. What I was really good at is selling group tickets to our corporate clients. I was really strong at that. And I was a creative marketer. I came up with some solutions that were different and unique and that hadn't been done before. And I was one of the leaders in our group sales team at, at that time. But what it did is it just demonstrated that I could pull together creative marketing programs uh, to sell products. And uh, it was within that, uh, it was a year and a bit in ticket sales. And then I jumped into corporate partner, back into corporate partnership, working for those same guys that had said, you know, should we stick around? <laughs> but we, we launched the Toronto FC program and launched Toronto FC into the marketplace together. I was leading the sponsorship team and we launched it at that point. And you'll never forget a moment when you launch a franchise into a city. It was yeah. brilliant. And it was everything from you're building a venue, you're trying to sell a product that nobody understands professional soccer in this marketplace. We yeah. didn't, I didn't, we didn't understand professional soccer in the marketplace, right? We were selling hope and we were selling the future and, and you know, aspirations of tons of a million kids in Canada playing soccer. You know, you know there's, there's something great there. Yeah. So that's, that's what we jumped into at that point. And between 2006 and 2007, when we launched maybe the most memorable year. Uh, in my career because of how many things we had to accomplish, uh, how many things we had to overcome. And then when we sold out consistently every single game, when we launched that season and then the euphoria that, that took off with, with soccer was, was pretty remarkable. So I had a great, uh, great run in sponsorship there with our soccer club for a number of years. And then as it went on, I started to take on more responsibilities. As people left, I, I took over some more roles, whether that was um, community sport partnerships for Toronto FC, Sweet Sales. You know, I got into a bunch of different things before I transitioned back full time into MLSE and right. back, back into partnerships selling across all properties and leading a partnerships team across all properties. So I, I went from, you know, corporate to focused specifically on soccer, back to focused on all properties for a number of years. And those were primarily the Tim Wiki years, I'll call them. Yes. Sports. And it was, an, it was a wonderful time. And I learned a lot through, uh, through that experience. And it was primarily in, in sales, partnership sales service and, and team leaders leading a team. And then uh, over the last, I guess it's coming on to five years now, I've been working for uh, directly for our soccer club, work, reporting into the team president uh, in an overall business operations role, uh, overseeing our, our sales and marketing functions, and then working very closely with the MLSE. Uh, folks who are who are operating those on a on a daily basis. So you know, seeing it from the corporate side and then seeing it from the team side has really provided a lot of a lot of amazing perspective for me. That's awesome. That is uh, so neat and cool. And I know we're going to dig in. We're going to go backwards. And um, again, I'm a fan. You know, as, as as you know, and I'm 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 a fan of all sports. Obviously, I'm a, I'm an enormous fan of the Raptors. And of course, you, you know, when when we win, I'm a I'm a fan of 
you know, the soccer, you know, or, or who, whoever, you know, someone's winning. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. That's, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be called a bandwagon fan at time. That's fine. I, you know, I only got so much time. Uh, so my Raptors are my commitment <laughs> and, and the other, okay, we'll jump on. So you've seen winners, you've seen losers, you've seen, you know, and again, like always as well, everyone's doing their best. So there's no, no, nothing bad, but, but, you know, in your mind, what makes, you know, and even MLSC, like, you know, again, like, and now they're one of the, the best organizations in the world, in my mind. And at, at one point, they're certainly not that you would, you know, trying to judge that numerically or how well we we're doing. So what, what's really right. behind that in your mind, Chris? Yeah. So in, in my career, I've had the pleasure of working under a number of presidents and CEOs uh, with, within my company. So when you're around for 20 years, that's what happens. Yeah. And, uh, they, they've all been amazing for various different reasons. And mm-hmm. that's, I think, what the unique thing is. And, and I, when I started at the company, a gentleman named Richard Petty uh, was, was running our company. And, and our ownership at the time was uh, we were primarily owned by a pension plan, the teacher's, Ontario right. teacher's pension plan. Richard's background was uh, consumer packaged goods. And then he got into running Skydome, building Skydome, and then over to Maple Leaf Sports. He was brilliant. And the business acumen that he taught not only his leaders, but at the time when I was younger in my career, what we learned how to operate a business, regardless if it was a sports team or regardless if it was a, a packaged goods uh, business or a brand, Richard was brilliant. And there couldn't have been a better leader for, from that standpoint. We would go to, I'll never forget, we go to league meetings and we start to talk about how we run our business or break down our business or measure our business. And it was absolutely different from what the rest of the teams were doing. So we learned a tremendous amount about how to run a great business uh, from Richard Petty. He was also amazing from a culture standpoint. You know, he taught us about being leaders in our community and bringing pride to the community. He was he was unbelievable there. I think at the time where where some of the shortfall was is is it didn't always it didn't transition to that team office, right? Yes. And that was a bit of the the breakdown there. I do believe our ownership group would invest and they would put the right money in place. And you know, let's talk NHL. But before the before the the lockout and the in the salary cap being being imposed. MLSE would always buy at the trade trade deadline and we would, yeah. we would build up. We would try to win. We, yes. that, that's how we would try to win. Coming out of that lockout, you know, we had a, we had a rookie uh, general manager in, in, in place in, in John Ferguson. And I don't think we, we didn't transition well uh, out of that. So the leadership was, was amazing, but it wasn't transitioning into that, into that front office. Okay. So then I, I fast forward to kind of the next phase. Richard got us to a point where, Again, another brilliant business move. He he buys, or we 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 start Leafs TV, Raptors NBA TV. We buy Gold TV, and then we've got an interesting situation on our hands where we're taking a lot of live content and we're putting it on our own channels. And then DSN right. and Sportsnet and the media media uh, the broadcasters are getting worried about that. Uh, here comes Bell and Rogers, and they come in and they and they purchase MLSD along with our other owner Larry Tannenbaum. Uh, and it was a brilliant business move. For Richard to oh. to have that foresight so long in advance, right? The stations were 2000, 2001 when they started, uh, and the sale was I think two thousand twelve uh, in that in that time frame. Uh, but the valuation of the company exploded, and uh, what what the teachers were able to teachers pension plan were able to drive out of it uh, was substantial. So it's honestly a brilliant uh, from a business standpoint there. But once we got into the new ownership, Bell and Rogers, as well as Larry. They brought in uh, new new leadership as well. Uh, so Tom and Somi had a had a, a short tenure as as a team as our president, and Tim was famous for building champions. 
and and Tim was behind um, you know the uh, LA Kings yeah. when they went on their run, and Luke yeah. Robitaille was, was brought in as as club president. Uh, the LA Galaxy in Major League Soccer, Tim Lewicki was behind the David Beckham experiment and bringing right. him Major League Soccer. Uh, Tim knew how to build winners, and yeah. he knew how to recognize leaders uh, in the yeah. team office. And that's exactly what he did at MLSE. And I'll never, you, you never forget those times where he put the right leaders in place for your clubs and then put so much effort on the team, right? Tim was all about the team, the team. He would remove, he would want to remove any barriers for the team or the players that made their jobs uh, difficult from actually winning. Their job is right. to win, right? Yes. The job is to win. And as an organization, our mandate is to win, win championships and win at business. Our mission became bring the world to its feet. He thought globally. He thought big. Toronto was a global, right? Toronto is a global city. It's the most diverse city in the world. Over 50% yes. of the population wasn't born here. Yeah. So start thinking about that. You know that basketball and soccer have a huge, huge future as well. So Tim puts Masai in place Yeah. Right, on the basketball side. Uh, Masai's brilliant we don't need to talk about his his no. leadership here we know how brilliant he is uh he puts brennan shanahan in place and then tim takes the reins on the soccer club uh and starts to put the right leaders from a player standpoint in place as well yeah and it's it's interesting as well for like one of the things he he did as well is he used the financial might of mlse where that's not something they were really using or they weren't using as well as Tim did, right? It's like Masai was offered yeah. a whole lot of money to stay in Denver. We just outbid him, as I understand, right? Like, you know, Masai, no, yeah. you know, come here. We're just going to, you know, uh, use our, the fact that we are a powerful economic market. And then obviously he has just done, such, like you said, incredible things. You know, again, the Leafs have, have, you know, since Brendan's taken over, made massive progress. And then as well, they've they've done a lot of investment, like you said, in their teams. I'm sure, like, what what other types of investments have they made? Because I know there's a salary cap for players, but they've they've started to say, hold on, there's other ways we can spend money so that we can win more. And again, by winning more, we'll fill our stadiums more, our advertisers will be worth, yeah. our sponsorships will be worth more. So where have they where have they spent that money? That's precisely uh, accurate. So. Yes, in salary cap world, it's hard to spend money on the players. You spend to the max. But yes. what, we, what we did in the basketball office is you put, you know, you put Masai in place and you spend on, on him and then you allow him to assemble the team he needs. So he hired, yeah. you know, Jeff Weltman at the time. I think he was VP of basketball operations and then went on to be, you know, um, a GM, you know, in another club and Bobby Webster. And he, he yeah. hires the right team. He hires a, you know, diversity of thought within that team as well, right? He, he brings on board a number of different leaders that have different backgrounds. He brings in a, a woman named Teresa Resch who, who, who had different types of thinking to, to come into the mix. And again, he built a team that was so complimentary uh, and that's how he was able to invest. And then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Masai goes and, and he builds an unbelievable training facility. It's called the OVO Athletic Center. It's right on the exhibition grounds, And we give the team everything they need to succeed. You remove some of those barriers that make it difficult for them to, to succeed, right? And having the right training environment is, is one of those things that's vitally important. So MLSE goes and, and we invest uh, in those yeah. different initiatives. On the hockey side, you know, 
You've got uh, a team that's in place. You got Shani in place. He puts Kyle Dubas in place. He had Lou Lamorello in place. Yes. At the time, he had Hunter in place. You know, investing in in the right hockey mind in order to get us to that to that next level. And then on the soccer side, I think it's a bit different because what Tim did at the time was he realized how to win, and he knew that if he put the right players in place, one the right leader in place on the pitch, right, and then bring around that leader. Uh, players that were still in their prime uh, and able to score a lot of goals, then you have a really good shot at winning. So we put Michael Bradley in place. And for me, I've worked so closely with Michael over the years. He's an unbelievable leader. Uh, I've never seen somebody work so hard in my life as right. Michael Bradley. He leads by example, and he demands so much from his team. Uh, he's, an, he's, he's an unbelievable leader. And then you bring in guys like, at the time, it was Sebastian Javinko, who was just going to score a ton, of, a ton of goals. And then Joe Vialtador, yeah. again, he brought a complimentary team together and he just knew he knew how to win. So we went to the finals in 2016. We lost in the finals and penalty shootout at BMO field. And then that same team with a few tweaks, we only had to make a few tweaks, won it in 2017. So it was, um, it's been an impressive run. And Tim also at the end of the tenure, his tenure, our organization brought in, uh, uh Bill Manning as our club president. And uh, Bill was a winner uh, in Major League Soccer. He'd won with Real Salt Lake and, and had a, uh, has a long career in soccer, as well as all sports. He's worked in the NFL, NBA as well. And uh, he helped refine uh, what Tim had started. And really, you know, we added a guy named Victor Vasquez to that 2017 team who was magic and grew up playing with Lionel Messi. Right. Yeah. So, so he had that pedigree. Uh, and we end up winning and we won everything that year. We won the, the NLS Cup, the Supporters Shield. We won the Canadian Championship. Um, we're the only club to have won what's called the Domestic Treble. Uh, right. So it was a storybook year, and uh, it was it was it was pretty amazing. And then obviously, you look at what the Raptors have done over the last number of years. And and last year with the champion, it was a year ago, right? Literally yep. a year ago, uh, exactly. the Raptors the Raptors won the NBA championship, and they went on this unbelievable run. And you know, we'll all remember where we were when, when that was happening. Anybody who's Absolutely. a sports fan. Yeah. I made the, you know, it's funny. I had, we had clients that night and we had, um, there were some people that were in, were in San Francisco and then there was a group that was here and we had real sports and we had tons of clients. And I said to myself, you know what? I'm going to hang out in Jurassic park. I'm doing this from Jurassic park because that is going to be the most unbelievable experience. And wow. myself and a few, few of the other people, um, People are other, actually, Toronto Argonauts, uh, GM and, and coaches yeah. and whatnot. We hung out in Jurassic Park. It was phenomenal. It was an unbelievable experience. I'll never forget. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we'll all remember. And then the parade was crazy. So, you know, going through those phases of seeing what it takes to build a great business and then seeing what it takes to build a great team, uh, a lot of it's rooted in culture and leadership, people in place, and also building a, a team that complements each other, that is consistent, mm -hmm. that can rely, rely on each other. You know, I use the word consistency a lot, and you know, yeah. my boss uses the word you know, a consistent roster and and complementary uh, a lot because you know when you're turning over that that team or your workforce over and over and over again, it's really hard to build any any sort of momentum and even understand the individuals because when you look at successful teams, you know, we went from a team in 2007 that won everything to a team in 2018 that went on an amazing run in Champions yeah. League. And then lost. Yeah. And there's a few people that, a few teammates that were put into place in 2018 that were unbelievable athletes, but they didn't fit. Oh, okay. They, they didn't fit the culture of the club or they didn't fit the culture of the locker room or they didn't. Right. Right. And 
you recognize that in hindsight at the time you you know, think these these guys are unbelievable players but it has to fit it has to all come together and recognizing being able to recognize what type of people are going to fit together is a huge huge skill for for a leader to have that's interesting that's something as a fan you don't get a chance to see I, again you know I follow the teams and, but that's something you don't get. So, so at your level, how do you, how do you see that? How does that show up on, you know, and obviously for you, that's, that's where your closest is the Toronto FC. How, how do you see that, that culture that when people don't fit? Yeah. So our motto is all for one as a club and that brings everything you, you step into that facility. So if, uh, you know, there's players that come in that have an individual attitude or have a you know a history of you know being about them versus the betterment or the club then maybe that's not a great fit um and again you're not you're not going to get everything right there's no one gets of everything right yeah you know like like there's there's the best players in the world and the best players in the world you know might be more individualized but they're complemented by the right people around them in order in right. order to to succeed but when i talk about that all for one mentality it's not just something that, you know, is a logo on the wall, it has to be felt by everybody in the organization. So, uh, you know, my boss and in our organization, we choose to do that to start through imagery. You know, he's labeled the trophy cases right above that sit in the, in the first team dining hall. And that's, it's part of the, it's part of the entrance as well. You look up and you see the three trophies we're competing for. Well, before he was here, they used to be just empty trophy cases, or maybe they had a trophy and then they weren't labeled. You know, you got to put everybody in that winning environment. Yeah. So as a leader, creating that winning environment uh, is vitally important. And it can be done in a number of different ways. And every leader's got different ways of doing it. It just so happens that right now, you know, physically and, and seeing this is what is, is first thing that jumps out at, at you. Um, and then when you go into the locker room, you know, you start to feel like you've got a leader like Michael Bradley in your locker room and others around him that, that, yeah. that just, it, it's about the club and it's about togetherness. So it's, it's seen in a number of different ways, but I think yeah. that that visceral, like for me, it's like this visceral feeling when you walk in there, it's like, Hey, we're in this, we're all in this together. All for one. All for one. Yeah. And as well, there's no question as well, when you've got things running, when you've got momentum on your side, it's so much easier to keep that momentum. You know, again, having run a business for decades, it's like, you've got that momentum. We have such positive momentum in our business. And it's like, you just keep running it. You just keep feeding it and feeding it and feeding it. Just good messages, good messages. And we're full of good messages because we're winning. And it's tough when it's going back against you, right? It's tough when it's really just oh, yeah. biting and sucking. And and again, I, I, Melissa Lee had that. Our businesses, you know, again, at times we weren't nearly as good, and that that was really hard to get from not when it was really good to you know because we were really good, and then at times not so good, and then we've been really great, and we're the plan is just going to be really great. Hey, leaders. I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. Since we started this podcast, every person you've heard from has been one of the incredible alumni of the Student Works Management Program. In large part, that's how I got to meet these amazing people and participate in their development. Starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast, interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down the path of entrepreneurship. 
If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. Now back to the episode. So you've been in both those spots. So oh, yeah. what does it look like when it's not good? What is what, and, yeah. and what are some things for our leaders to hear? Yeah. So most of my career, of my 20 years, it's been, you know, at the start it was, you know, it was good with the Leafs. We didn't win, but it was pretty good. Yeah, it was good. It was good. <laughs> you yeah. go through these, these cycles. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reflect on the soccer club here because it's, it's been closest to me. And I think there's a really good uh, path here to understand going from, you know, euphoria of a launch, right? You, so let's say you launch your business and you've got yeah. this trajectory like this. Yeah. And at the time, you know, you maybe have some things that differentiate you that make you better. Yeah. Okay. So for us at Toronto FC, it wasn't necessarily the product. It was more of the environment that made it such an amazing experience. And we sold out, you know, year over year over year. And our partnerships, sponsorship business was at the top of the league more so because of the environment that was created. Right. And it's really interesting because sport is not just about the product. There's all these other factors that, that come into the mix. There's the product, there's the environment, there's the brand, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of things that impact. So for soccer, it was this, this trajectory like this based around the best sporting experience in Toronto that was completely organic and it wasn't produced. It was the fans. It was the fans right. that made this thing. And the youth were there and, and, and it was just this unbelievable experience. It got to a point though, where the product didn't match that, right? You know, you have a runway and then when that, when the, when the team is not performing, you know, then, then fandom starts, starts to waver. And I would say when we launched all for one was, was a huge part of what we were doing. When we got into years four, five, six, seven, I would say you, we lost, maybe lost some of the core value, what all for one meant. Right, and I don't think you know you don't do it, you don't do it, you, you don't mean to do it. It it, it just happened. Yeah, head coach head coaches turned over year over year. Players turned over year over year. You know some fit, some decisions that were made even with how we bundled and how we priced our our packages, our season right. ticket packages impacted us. So it was all these things that came together that uh, maybe we're separate from our values were that that all for one mentality. So we lost our ways uh, for a number number of years. And uh, we, we really struggled to, uh, to get out of that. And then we got to this re really uh, reflective moment uh, where we had to make a business decision because the team was not performing. And uh, there was this, uh, this uh, feeling amongst our fan base that they weren't all in it. Uh, and we, had, we ended up actually rolling our price back. And you as a business owner knows, like, when you roll that price back, right, it means a number of different things. One is you're trying to save the base. Yeah. Uh, but it, you know, does it debit that brand equity a little bit as well? And and it might, right? So you pull some away from that from that brand. But we feel we felt we had to do it in order to keep our diehards and our loyals there. And then the following year is when you know Tim Lawicki came on board and we added the players and we the all four mentality came back into full force. So it was really difficult during those down years for me. And and again, throughout my whole career, I'll go back to the Raptors ticket sales. You have to sell regardless of how the product feels performing. Yes. I didn't have a choice, right? If I want to keep my job or if we want to put food on the table, yeah, you got to sell. And I have this, 
I had this, you know, this leader who would, he'd have his Monday morning meetings and he'd have us in his office and his office overlooked Bay Street in Toronto. And he'd, he'd you know, when, I, when any of us were kind of negative and he'd roll up the window, look how many people are out here. Like, let's go out and make some phone calls. You know, he, he just rallied us. But, it, but my point there is it's about creating opportunity and building relationships and doing what it takes to succeed, despite the fact that everything might not be going in the right, in the right direction. So for us in sponsorship for Toronto FC, when the team was struggling, you know, we had amazing relationships and that was true to our business. The euphoria when we launched that product, we hosted, there was tons of hospitality. Uh, we treated people uh, the, the right way. Tons of our friends are, were, you know, we built friendships around, yeah. uh, around our, our business and uh, it helped us as we, as we went through those difficult times, because, you know, for us, uh, we want our, our partners and our friends to be with us through the highs and through the lows. And if you can build, if you can build a business where you've got such a, a strong, uh, whether it's a fan base or whether it's corporate clients that believe in what your, is core to your organization, then that's going to help you through those hard times. And that for us got us through. Through those difficult years when the product wasn't strong, we were still top, you know, close to top in the league in sponsorship. And it was uh, relationships. It was selling hope. For the future, yeah, it was sure. selling the sport of soccer again, yeah. recognizing what makes it, you better and different. Not always going to be perfect, but what are those things that, that do make you better and different? And our partners believed in that. And then when you have those great relationships, it, it, it uh, certainly helped get us through those times from a business from a business standpoint. On the team standpoint, it took a drastic change in leadership in order to get there. Right, yeah. somebody who knew who knew what it took to put a leader the leadership in place on the soccer side in order to win. Uh, we had tried a number of times before it didn't work. And Tim really, uh, um, hopefully that's two good examples of the team side and then the business side. I think it's really, really powerful examples. And, and one of the challenges, Chris, that, that you have is, is that your quote unquote failings are news and all over the social internet and all the, all over the media, you know? So it's like, Oh, you know, the FC suck right now. Like that, that makes it so, so hard. You know, if we have a bad year, no one knows, you know, like whatever, if we had, so, yeah. you know, we have a good year where we're promoting it, but that's one really unique way that your business operates. And, and again, there's no question as well, though, that you have a real fandom and that's something that we have in our business and really something that we try to create and try to maintain, like you said, and, and again, maintain through hard times, maintain through things aren't going so well. And it's still, you know, we can still have that fandom. And that really is a big part of culture though, right? Like that's really something like, you know, and again, I know I've been a season ticket holder over at the Raptors and I keep sending my money. And I, I must say there've been some years where I go, oh my God, do I want to do this? We really suck. But it was like, you know, hope and just saying, you know, hopefully these guys can figure it out. I know the group now doesn't have a clue, but I'm just hoping. And again, I'm so happy on the other side of it. Right. And certainly the, you know, from here on in, it certainly, you, you, you know, it seems like easier given we, we summited, you know, you're not going to stay there for long because that's kind of being, you know, that's just, you know, the, you know, be realistic. Yeah. That's challenging. So I know that much of a question there, but it's, it's real tough. <laughs> you go from this euphoria to, you know, what's next. And as much as the euphoria is great, I'll use the example in 2017, we win the MLS championship. I gave my guys, you know, then we had a parade three days later, and then I gave them a day and I said, okay, guys, now we're into this super growth mode. We have to 
capitalize on the business here, right? We've got a championship team. We had broadcast ratings that are through the roof. We captured the entire attention of this of one of the biggest cities in North America, one of the biggest cities in the world. Yeah. Now is our real challenge, right? Yeah. It, now it's like, okay, how do we continue to those million people that tuned in for the finals? They showed us that they have some fandom or they have some yeah. care in their heart about now, how do we go and, and, and bring them on board and, and turn them into avid fans? What's that next step? And what does that yeah. look like? And, you know, so I felt bad as a leader to give them like a day or so. And then I'm like, okay, now it's go time. Now wow. we got to, now we got to figure this out and we have to cement these, you know, this, this fandom. And then it turned into a team that started to struggle and didn't make the playoffs in 2018, right? Yeah. So as much as it's here, it quickly went, you know, here. And that was yeah. a team that, you know, underperformed, but it's amazing how it goes in cycles. And, you know, we always, yeah. we always laugh like when you win, the hot dogs taste great. The popcorn tastes great. They're not overpriced. And when you lose, you know, guys like you are season take they're telling us your, your hot dog tastes like shit. And you're too expensive. <laughs> well, I, I, eat, I eat the sushi. So, um, <laughs> okay. but, good. But, uh, and they are good. They are good. So roast beef sandwiches, but anyhow, so, one thing I wanted to point out to our leaders is, do you see, Chris, we won, parade, day off, we're back at work. We're grinding it, right? Like, like by the way, like that speaks to, you guys sailed back that last year, but you stepped up again, right? It, it shows that yep. the leadership team, it wasn't because of complacency of the leadership team right? Like, you know, you guys were on it and that's that, you know, just, I, I, I accommodate you. I acknowledge you because complacency can seep in. Right. And it's like, no, this is a, the mountains continue. We're still climbing guys. We're still climbing. And, and again, you owe it to your fans. You owe it to your company. You owe it to yourselves, right. To just strive for greatness. And again, it's the, that's the fun. That's the chase, right. Of let's just keep getting better. Right. And I can tell that's what you're up to, which is so awesome. Yes, absolutely. And, and, you know, I mentioned down in 18, 2019, we're back to MLS Cup final. We lost, yes. lost to Seattle again, unfortunately, but, but we were back to the final, you know, yeah. in that next year. And then, and then we're on to 2020 now. So it's, you know, the, the, this team just, you know, striving for, for greatness. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is so cool. So just, I know one of the cool things and, and I'm not sure what you can share about, but, but just sponsorship. I know over the years, uh, you know, we've become friends, which is awesome. And I've heard some inside stuff, which I always keep under my hat. Um, <laughs> but about, about things that you've done and, and sponsorship wins that, that you guys have done. And I'd love to just that you share on that and, and some of the real success that MLSE has had in that area. Absolutely. So a couple of stories I'll tell before I get into some of the successes is um, we call them partnerships, not sponsors. Okay, cool. Thank you. It's very important that we that they're strategic partnerships and sponsorship is a form of putting an advertisement on a on a ring board, and yeah. that's what a brand gets is they get that that exposure during a broadcasted uh, event, and that's sponsorship for us. A strategic partnership is a full three sixty marketing campaign that has sports at its root. Because brands want to attach to the emotional, the emotion of sport, right? And the emotion of sport and how fans like yourself or like others get involved in it, that makes people feel great about the brand, mm -hmm. not just yeah. the team brands, but also sharing of that equity with our partner brands. And that's yeah. what partnerships, uh, true uh, corporate partnerships are about. When Tim Mywicki came on board his second day in the office, he came down to our fifth floor. Uh, at Scotiabank Arena and, and looked around and said to us, you're not corporate partnerships, you're global partnerships. We are bigger. We are, we are Toronto. We are, you know, so he taught us to think big, 
and he yeah. taught us to think outside of the box and he taught us to think in, in, a, in a global or a worldly manner to say we've got the ability to do great things here and since then we've gone on to win industry awards for our programs uh, across the nba across nhl major league soccer but also international marketing awards uh, uh, Ken's advertising and, and you know awards in France for some of our programs. These marketing platforms, and if you watch in the Raptors game, we'll go back to Raptors example, Chris. Uh, when you watch the McDonald's pro, uh, partnership last year, the Beyond the Arc program, the athlete endorsements that are involved there, uh, or you look at the GoDaddy um, partnerships that we have with yes. you know at the time it was Jonas Valanciunas and his itty bitty ballers that he was creating, yeah. and yeah, that was fun, right. <laughs> Uh, or our, our program for TFC, it was the Hellman's Real Food Rescue, and we turned 50,000, uh, what would have been food waste, into 50,000 meals with, with, uh, with food banks. Um, these are programs that, that mean a lot more than just some advertising on the boards. And one of the things that always grounds us and, and roots us is, what are we doing to elevate the fan experience, mm-hmm. right? What are our partners doing to elevate the fan experience? And that could be added value from a content standpoint. That could be added value in venue and in game. Uh, what are we doing on, you know, on a device and what, how are we gamifying uh, different things within, within our ecosystem or environment? Uh, there's a lot of different ways that, that um, partnerships manifest themselves. But for me, it's always, it's always grounded in um, you know, the fan experience. One success story or a, a few maybe that I'll tell, uh, one of my favorites is Port of Canada came to myself and, and uh, the team that was, was leading there of the Toronto Maple Leafs and Toronto Raptors. And for a period of time, they had been a what I'll call a sponsor, right? A lot of their assets were signage-based. And Ford said, well, we don't have a recognition problem. You know, people know what Ford is and what we yeah. stand for. So we need an idea that's going to be outside of the box that no other brands could have access to that would really differentiate us. Um, so effectively, they asked, what's, you know, what's the million-dollar idea? What's the big idea? Yeah. So we said, you know, when we took it back to the team, we're like, okay, well, what's not attainable within our environment? And at the time, you know, Leafs tickets weren't attainable, right? They were sold out. You can't, you can't get them. Totally. And they're expensive. Yeah. Right. So we developed, we developed a program. We had uh, a product at our venue. There were 600 level suites uh, that were kind of close to the top of the top of the venue that um, a bunch were up for renewal. And what we said is, okay, let's, Blow them all out. Let's create one super suite, if you will. Right. And let's, on behalf of Ford, give away 200 free leaf tickets a game through a social media campaign. And that's how that program was born. It was born out of Ford challenging us to say, we need that, we need that million idea, that million dollar idea that no one else can do. And that was the program that came out of it. Right now, it still exists. I think it was uh, seven year, six or seven years ago now that we, we uh, launched that program. There's a social media ambassador called the Ford Fanatic, who every right. game gives away 200 free lease tickets through social challenges, through community goodwill, through all these different initiatives that bring fans closer to the Toronto Maple Leafs and closer to the Ford brand. Uh, it's an unbelievable program. We've won awards for that program. The experiences we're creating for Leafs fans, and when I go up to the Ford Fan Deck, uh, it's young kids. It's yeah. families. It's it's who you want to be able to see consuming the consuming the product you typically wouldn't get to. So I know that it's working, um, and it makes me it makes me very proud that we were able to create something that was so uh, unique. And you know, it's 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 something that maybe the ticket shouldn't have been so unattainable, but that that's the reality, 
You know, it's the reality of a, a top global sports brand. Definitely. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, should, could, wish life was fair. Life's not fair. That's something our leaders learn on this podcast <laughs> and already right. know it. It's not like, you know, again, and, and, you know, to, to go to a Leaf and Raptor game, it costs a lot of money. You've got to earn yeah. a bunch of money or, or be fortunate, you know, so that, so that you can go. And, yeah. uh, yeah. you know, the one thing as well that I wanted to, to highlight about MLSE is just what great corporate citizens they are. Mm. Like they are so amazing. And, you know, we've, we've raised $1.6 million. I know you were part of that program with, with, with MS early on, and it's now 1.6 million. We're so proud wow. of it, but MLSE, so many ways you are embedded in the community. You give back. I know recent times, you know, food bank things like, like maybe you could speak to that and, and, and how that resonates through your culture and, and, and how, and, and what the thought process is there for our leaders. Yeah. Uh, our community has always been, um, core to our organization and, and regardless of the leaders that I've talked about today, um, what's always been so strong with an organization is our commitment to community. And whether that's our MLSE foundation, previously to our MLSE foundation, it was the Leafs Fund and the Raptors Fund, yeah. our Raptors Foundation. And uh, in the early existence of our foundations, we were building and refurbishing um, courts mm -hmm. and ice rinks across right. the entire city. So if you go across the city of Toronto, uh, there's a good chance you're going to see one of these outdoor rinks refurbished by the Toronto Maple Police. Or one oh, of these cool. courts refurbished, refurbished by the Toronto Raptors. You know, the evolution of our um, foundations into MLSE, into the MLSE foundation is, is still profound where we did, we kept building infrastructure and investing in infrastructure. But the last number of years, I'd say last 10 years specifically, has really turned into programming, investing in programming. And how can we change the lives of youth through sport? And, you know, going back to these facilities that we had spent money on, and now running programming across those facilities, vitally important. The biggest thing that we've done to date, and we launched it in conjunction with the NBA All-Star in Toronto, was a, pro, um, a facility called MLSE Launchpad. And MLSE Launchpad is this amazing facility at Jarvis and Dundas in, in Toronto. And we work and partner with Toronto Community Housing. We have built this multi-purpose facility that it's a gym, it's a kitchen, it's classrooms. We have a huge staff that works there, and every single day, they're bettering the lives of youth through the power of sport. But it's not about a drop-in facility for kids to go to the gym. That's not what it's about. It's right. about those kids to go there and learn about a nutrition program and learn how to cook for themselves. Wow. And it's about those kids going and sitting in a classroom and learning the subjects through the curriculum that we're building. And then it's about learning about team and learning about champions and learning about how to be amazing team members through our athletic program that we have out of, out of that facility. So it's this culmination of everything brought together. We've got uh, university partnerships. We're measuring the outcomes of this area where, you know, if these, these, are they better? Are they ready for school? Are they ready for work? Right. Right. What are, what are we actually doing to get to change the outcomes of these kids who live in a, a tough area of the city? And we have the opportunity to make that change. So MLSE Launchpad is something we're all extremely proud of. Our partners have invested heavily in the MLSE Launchpad as well. Um, we've talked about and, and we're figuring out what that next evolution is. Are we building more launch pads, whether it's across the city or even broader? 
uh, we've got a really amazing, amazing case study here and a great group of people that are running that uh, facility every single day. It's, uh, it's certainly pretty special. That is so cool. That is so yeah. cool. Like, uh, and you're right. Like sport is such a huge opportunity to, you know, team. And, and I, I was blessed. I know you were blessed. You had a, a, you know, a real sporting career and, and, and achieved at the highest level and just how it impacts us every day. Right. Uh, you totally. know, and the values and the habits and the working together and subsuming your needs for the needs of your team, you know, and, and not all the time, but at times, okay, Hey, I, I need to, you know, you know, shut the heck up and give, give someone else the mic or whatever it is, you know, and, and do the dirty work or, you know, so it's, it's really awesome, you know, and, and, and again, it just seems like MLSE is just performing at such a high level, you know, and, and you know, just want to acknowledge you for that. Thank you. I, I do want to tell, cause it is timely and, and, you know, we're right in the middle of, of the COVID-19 pandemic, it, you know, quickly MLSE has been um, a leader amongst not just the community, but our employee base as well. They've done an amazing job with staff, keeping everybody engaged. And we started a program called Bringing Toronto Back to Its Feet. We have a huge food and beverage team because we run yeah. all of our restaurants and concessions. And yeah. they came forward with the idea of we've got the kitchen space. We've got the capacity. Let's turn our venues into the biggest kitchens. And right now, we've pumped out over 200,000 meals uh, in the last 60 or so days since we launched the program. It may not even be 60 days. And yeah. we're, we're feeding frontline workers at uh, hospitals and facilities across the city, as well as the uh, Second Harvest Food Bank program. So it's been, uh, it's been an unbelievable show of support from uh, our partners. They got involved. So yeah. you know, she got really involved in a lot of partners, uh, but also the leadership of our organization, um, our so food and awesome. beverage team. It's been, it's been really great. So again, another example of uh, our, our team rallying around uh, the community. I'd seen that on social media. I'm so glad you shared that, you know, like, I think that's just so amazing. Like, it's just, just so amazing. And, and I know, you know, I wanted to share, like I had tickets to go see Steph Curry and LeBron James and Jokic and the Denver Nuggets and uh, Jamal Murray. And I was talking to friends because I was, I was in Italy when COVID hit and they closed down Italy and we just got out and we came back and it's like, oh, how, what's going to happen here? And how's this going to impact us? And I was talking to good friends. Should I go to the game? You know, it, you know, will I, you know, my wife's already decided, no, she's not going to go to the game. And then, then of course the NBA in their leadership took that decision away you know, from yeah. fans like me. And, uh, I know I want to, I, I know you've got a story about that as part of Toronto FC. So, so sharing that please. Yeah. It's, um, we'll all remember, uh, this time, right. And we'll all mm -hmm. remember where we were when, you know, COVID had been around for a while, but when the world took notice and it, it happened to be the NBA that put the world on watch, yeah. uh, when sports shut down that night yeah. on March 11th. So that night, you know, you're, you're watching and I was watching at home and, and you're seeing all the reports. And then the next day, our soccer team was uh, preparing for our next upcoming match, which would have been March the 14th. And we were training down at BMO Field, which we never do. We don't usually train at our at the facility that we play in. But we were down there and I decided that day, OK, I'm going to go down and, and be with the team because we're not sure what's going to happen. Uh, quickly, we realized that um, lots was happening. And uh, the, the impact was going to be profound of this NBA decision. So we had to make some real decisions uh, in real time. We hadn't had direction for Major League Soccer at the time. They weren't instructing teams to shut down training facilities or what precautions to take. So we quickly made a decision. And again, it was a decision that 
I don't think at the time we didn't know if the Leafs had shut down training or we didn't know if yeah. the NHL had shut down training, but we had to make a decision to say, okay, what was the right thing for our players and for our staff and how do we yeah. deal with this situation at that hand? So uh, quickly, our general manager, Ali Curtis, Bill Manning, myself, our strength and conditioning uh, guys, we huddled and we said, okay, what's right here is, is for us not to take the pitch, for us to disband yeah. the team, to send them, to send them home, to put them in their homes right now until further notice. And that was a decision that we made uh, on on March the twelfth, really quickly before the team was was about to hit the pitch. So we had yeah. we had we had maybe thirty minutes or so once we all assembled at the facility to make that decision, and we made the right decision. And I've been we've all been working from home since that day, March the twelfth, and hadn't been back into the the city. And and you know we all we all know what's transpired. But but that was a moment you 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 won't forget those the, the yeah. this time because it's just yeah. such a unusual time right now. And it's really great. Like I want I want our leaders to hear is is that there are moments that a decision's needed, and you want to be on the right side. You want to be on safety. You want to be on community health. And we had to make similar decisions, and where it was like, what's going on? And gee, it looks like things are shifting. It looks like. We no longer, can you imagine, we stopped canvassing for weeks and weeks and weeks, you know, and and again, obviously in the context of a global pandemic, I get that, but it's just like, it was so hard to see that, oh, and we stopped doing face-to-face estimates. We just did them by Zoom for for a number of weeks. And then, you know, now we're doing them, you know, six weeks, six six feet apart, you know, different, different communities, different strategies, but it really is fascinating and it's about being on the right side of it, I think, I, you know, to me, you know, yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's, and, and it takes courage. Yeah. You know, in hindsight, uh, it's, it's the right decision, but when you're, you know, you're forced with something that's right in front of you, what do you do? And you just hope you've got the right, the right leaders and, and the, t- the team around you. This was a team decision. Um, yeah. it was the, you know, it was the right, it was the right decision. Yeah, no. And it's funny as well. I, I find as well in those situations, because I remember when we were making those decisions, it was it was talking to more people on the team. So what are you experiencing and how are people responding? And and then, oh, OK, cool. It's clear. You know, it's it's switched. We stop on that. Yep. Right. Like it's just, you know, again, the more, you know, it, it's kind of like a, a group consensus often actually shows the way it's like, OK, what are you really feeling? What are you really feeling? What are you really feeling? Right. And it's like, OK. This, you know, because it's really absolutely unnatural to tell the team of soccer players who have played soccer every day for their lives, no, we're not playing soccer today. Like we're not practicing. Exactly. Like that's that's like what what what? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because because we work out. What you just said there, Chris, was was um, key for me. And as a leader, um, you just talked a lot about listening. Yeah. Right. You just talked a lot about listening to your teammates, and you know you're not going to have all the right answers all the time. Right. Yeah, We're, sure. You know, we, we need a group of people around us that we can trust and that we can listen to and that we can bounce ideas off of. So for me, one of the one of the greatest characteristics of amazing leaders is they have the ability to listen and to take in that take in that information and make informed decisions. So that's that's precisely what you did there. And I, I love it because that's that's, yeah. that's so important. Yeah, no, well, thank you. Thank you. So, well, actually, actually, just to, two final questions. If someone wanted to do what you do. You know, what key habits would they want to steal from you? Okay. So, um, you know, as you get into your career after a while, you start to reflect and think about some of the things that, you know, might have made you successful along the way. And I always went back to uh, to hard work. Yeah. So I, I found this quote, Chris, I found this, it was a, 
he's written a number of books and business books. His name is Steph Godden, but he does this blog every single yeah. day, Steph's blog. And he, he had this quote, which was, the hard work involves embracing uncertainty, dancing with fear, and taking responsibility before it's given to you. So for me, it was about, okay, you know, I've dealt with change pretty well through my mm-hmm. career, right? Change of leadership, change of roles. You know, you're going to be, you're going to be dealt something that's not going to work out in your favor. You got to, you got to deal with it, change it. You got to be able to embrace it. That's one thing that's been always important in my career success. Um, dancing with fear, at calculated risks. You know, I talk, talked about some things in my career here that I've done that, you know, maybe they, they weren't the right, uh, or it wasn't the consensus or, well, you know, I, you know, some people that were close to me maybe said it wasn't the right, but I recognized what I needed to get to that next level. So I took calculated risks or, in my sponsorship career along the way, I've been told a number of times, Shu, you're crazy for asking that price or you're what, what the heck are you talking about? But I, but I knew we could get it done and we got it done. So you take, you take those calculated risks. And then this one for me is, is, is an easy one. Take responsibility before it's given to you. Any leader wants their team to be able just to recognize if there's an opportunity, if there's a new business area where they can go and chase it down and drive revenue and, and the leader didn't think about that. Um, or, the, you know, recognize when you, when your boss needs some help, uh, and you want to just take, you want to, you know, or never mind your boss, but your teammate needs some help yeah. and, and you just take that responsibility before it's given to you. That's those three things have been really important to me. And then the last thing is, um, you know, in the sports industry, you're all in and, you know, it's more than a job and it has yeah. to be somewhat of a lifestyle. And I'd say as an entrepreneur, uh, it's kind of the same thing. You're buying into the lifestyle of an entrepreneur. And yeah. uh, in order for it to be successful, you, you got to be on, you got to be thinking all the time. You got to worry about your teammates. You got like, you're into it. Yeah. Right? And it, it is, it is your lifestyle. So whether it's, you know, a career in sport or whether it's, you know, running your own business, you know, you got, you got to be into it. So it's always for me, um, my work and, and the sport has been, a, has been a lifestyle as well. Yeah, no, it's true. Cause I know, um, Chris and I will bump into each other at the game, you know, every once in a while when, when I get a chance to see him because he's, he's busy with his partners, right. And his friends. Right. And that's, that's the job. Right. And it's, you know, the job I can go watch games, but it is a job and it's a, it's an impact on your family. It's an impact because again, you start early and you're working, you know, and then it goes late and it goes on weekends. And, and again, that's the same life that our entrepreneurs lead. And, and that's, that's what leaders do. You know, a lot of people, it's like, God, I'd love to be a leader like that. Wow. Would that ever be great? And are you willing to do what it takes? Because there's a lot of that. There's a lot of effort. And I'm glad you mentioned hard work because it just so, so shows up for you. So, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So one final question, when you think of a leader of tomorrow, what comes to mind? You know, a leader of tomorrow is someone who continues to listen, someone who builds a team around them that is complementary to their skills that is diverse in uh, thought leadership uh, as well. Diverse backgrounds lead to diverse thinking, you know, diversity, whether it's culture or gender. I think it's so important. Yes, it's extremely topical right now, but I've seen teams that have been built uh, with so much diversity of thinking uh, and it's tremendous what that can, what that can bring to the, bring to the table. My wife talked a lot about, um, you know, the power of introverts as well. Yes. And, and, uh, you know, um, that's not, I, I'm not an introvert and you, it's hard to understand, you know, I've got one son that is an introvert and one that yeah. isn't an introvert and yeah. it's hard to understand what makes them tick, but the power of, of all those different people together, I think can be a, can be a really powerful team for, uh, other characteristics of a leader. What I think about is, um, leaders that, 
uh, innovate and are always thinking about um, you know what's next. And you know, for me, the the whether it's the status quo or uh, complacency, that'll catch up to you, right? So in order to innovate and think what's next. You know, I think right now, some of the things we're doing in our organization to deal with COVID and how sports viewing is going to change and be different, you know, we were a bit ahead of that game. We were already right. thinking that that way. So I think we're maybe a year ahead of, of maybe some other organizations, right? So we've, we've dealt with that. So that's been, um, that's been pretty important. So the ability to, to, uh, to innovate was, was huge. And then I also think that um, from a leadership standpoint, everybody should have a voice. Right. And I talked about listening earlier, but the former president of Adidas, I think his name was Mark King. I, I listened to him talk about distributed leadership and how one of the biggest innovations and ideas in his company, in it was the tailor made company at the time, was the white. Remember the driver with the white head? Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. That idea came from a, um, an individual who they certainly wouldn't have expected a new product idea to come from. But it right. was an environment that was created within their organization that allowed everybody's voice to be heard uh, and to be potentially followed up upon. So I think that, that uh, is something that, uh, you know, I'll take with me and, and uh, deploy where, wherever I go, because there's a lot of great ideas uh, out there, regardless of where that person sits within, the, with, within the organization as well. So there's, there's a few tidbits of, of when I think of a leader. Of, of- oh, no, just awesome. Just awesome. Well, I just love this podcast, you know, Chris, just thank you so much. This is just so, so fantastic. And I, I could have gone on longer, but I, I want to make sure that people seeing the time don't think, oh my gosh, it's too meaty. <laughs> no, no, no. This is just fantastic. So continued success. And I know we're all cheering for you. Well, I, I shouldn't say, I know, I know there's probably some, uh, we, we get a diverse group. So there probably some people, MLC, hate those, they're Toronto, you know, so it's all fine, but I'll be cheering for you guys. So, uh, so thanks so much for your time, time today. Chris, thank you very much. It's been, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Pleasure. I appreciate it. Okay. Cheers. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey leaders. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Bye now you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year to not only help them run their first successful business, but to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down the path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. And I can't wait to see you on the other side.